do another clap again. Okay. <laughs> okay, shall we? Yep. Okay, three, two, one. That was horrible. Should we do it again? Well, she's going to be behind us anyways. Yes. Oh, okay. But should we try again? Okay. Three, two, one. Also, guess what? What? This is our season finale episode. Woo-woo! Ten episodes in the bag. Hell yeah. Um, and our guest today is one of my dear friends, um, and they are um, a lovely human who's brought a lot of joy to my life, a lot of spirituality in my life, um, and has a really interesting story to tell um, about their experience in work and in life and getting to this point. And so we thought it would be a great chance to um, give them the floor and kind of share their experience. So yeah, I'll give the floor to you. Hello, my name is Benham Spade. I use they and them pronouns and I call my spiritual professional practice Magical Venom. And while I bought both domain names, I do use magic with a K. M-A-G-I-C-K is a word we use for a formal set of practices as magic rather than that general concept of the magic of life. Um, You know, I do practice magic and part of that is herbalism, part of that is energy work, some of that is spell casting and some of it is just being very present with the earth and feeling um, those generations of connection that have kept the human race going are, are the witches, I believe. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us, actually, would you like to start with kind of how you got into um, spirituality and to magic and energy work? Sure. So I honestly started getting into this from just crisis after crisis where my life kept falling apart. And I feel like that every once in a while, the universe takes you by the shoulders and shakes you and is just like, you need to stop doing what you are doing. And so um, I I feel like I started to to wake up to the fact that I would not be a normie. <laughs> uh, well, I knew early on, of course, but then we forget and then we have to remember again. And there's lots of cycles of that. Um, I remember in middle school, I was getting like horrifically bullied and I looked into the magnet schools that were an option and I auditioned for an art school. And so I finally for high school got to be around the weirdos and the I, there were problems, too, for sure. But um, it was I started to get to be creative and be around people who weren't, you know, normies. And so <laughs> there and we all had this reputation of like, oh, don't invite New World people to parties. They'll like brood in the corner and make comments about postmodern blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was when I first like heard the term ego death. I remember um, one of my classmates and friends um got really into DMT and like I think it's so funny to me when I think back that like 15 year olds were tripping like really hard um (laughs) I was not on that level yet but I started hearing about people who were like 
the art was so fascinating to me and then I would hear like what motivated it and it was this concept of like the expansiveness beyond our ego and so I was not following the drug path to get there and that's just my choice I have no judgments if that is someone's path um I started to dabble in taking this yoga class with this really amazing teacher um his name is Carlos I believe he goes by Carlos Dow as his um professional name and I can never track him down last I heard he was in Bali but I would go to his class I would take the train there after high school and it was like this waking up this like coming into my um my body like I feel like we wake up by getting out of our head and into our body I feel like that's a big principle for me um and so yeah so to set that kind of early stage I I like then pulled back majorly from how weird I was I was like okay I'm gonna go to college I'm gonna start over I'm not gonna be that weirdo I'm going to do all the things. I actually tried to get into a sorority, and let me tell you, it did not go well. Oh my god, I could never see you in a sorority. The There's amount no I did not get into a single sorority, just they would just stare at me with a gaping mouth, but kind of like, what do you do for fun? And it's just like, you go death, and like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> my voice even cracked. I was trying to sound more guttural. But um, I didn't really, like, go all the way there, but you could just feel the disconnect. That Then I was starting to get really miserable, like, wow, I'm around normies again. How did this happen? I've learned this lesson before, but I have to learn it again. And, yeah, and so I feel like it wasn't this big waking up moment where I was like, wow, I'm a witch. It was sort of like I would hang out with people who I, I've never quite fit in anywhere. I think that's why I went back and forth of, like, okay, like, being around people who are, like, kind of always high wasn't working for me. Um, but then being around people who were always drunk wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And then being around people who were always sober wasn't working for me. And so it's not even just about your consciousness per se, but there's something there. Um, and so then I feel like halfway into college, I was like, I can't do this. Um, I had transferred schools, and I still was having kind of a hard time finding myself. And then my grandma died, and then I got super sick. I got this weird form of mono where it's, like, a syndrome that lasts for, like, six-plus months. So I had, like, narcolepsy pretty much. I couldn't drive. I couldn't sit in a chair or I would fall asleep. Um, I, like, really got kind of the universe really pulled me out of my life to, like, take time to rest. Mm. And that was when I did my first yoga training was me being in and out of the hospital a lot and not really being able Mm. to hold down a job for the way that my body was doing its thing. And I will recognize like I have had an incredible connection to my family who provide resources for me to do my thing when I need to. And while it's not like a perfect situation between us, I don't want to I think there's a major gaslighting in the whole spiritual industry of like, yeah, I just manifested this. I just manifested my 500-hour yoga teacher training, and I'm a Reiki master. And it's a hammer out of nowhere. Her house. Let's do my retreat in Costa Rica. And right, so, right, like yeah. a lot of a lot of unacknowledged, like a lot of not acknowledged privilege in that. Like, there's so much that that. I, well, it's also like yoga is not like a white. It shouldn't be a white person thing, but it's in America turned into, or in the United States, it's turned into like a very um. I think uncomfortable for me at least. Uh, yeah, like, if I can contribute to that. Yes. Um, the way that that happened was that 
yoga was being practiced in India, and so um, Krishnamacharya was like, hey, the future of this really is going to have to take root in Western culture. And so he started training some of his disciples to like go to America and train white people. So it actually kind of started with an intention by Indian people who, and like he was super clairvoyant, and you can even see places where he wrote down like, they're going to try to claim that they made this up. They're not going to want to give us credit for our lineage. They're going to do, like, they very clairvoyant. I don't even know if clairvoyant's the word. Like, I very, don't even know very if you, tuned into. I don't know if you have to necessarily be clairvoyant to yeah. know that white people are going to try and claim something that <laughs> yeah, is not yeah. theirs. Like, that's just history. <laughs> yeah, I say clairvoyant kind of the way, like, Karl Marx, like, nailed it with what would happen with mm. late-stage capitalism. Like, he could just see the trajectory of what was happening in yep. a way that was totally predicted. So I feel like what started off with certain white people getting trained and specifically told by, like, Indian masters of, like, all right, like, share these, share this wisdom, share these practices. The U.S. really needs it, and you guys are kind of the cultural center of a lot of what's developing in the world. So I totally agree. Like, yoga is really uncomfortably white, but it's, it like, it's this weird, complicated history where it's not like the original people extracted it in a the way that other things get extracted. Mm. So it's this really messy one where, um, like, this was all kind of laid out as this was going to happen. It wasn't even unexpected. I did my yoga training. The, the studio was owned by a Brazilian woman, and it was also a program really focused in learning Sanskrit and, like, trying to stay as traditional as possible. So, like, I don't know if people other people follow this, but it was, like, these are the specific vegetarian rules of your diet now. Mm. And, like, this is the sort of lifestyle you have to live. This is, um, we couldn't wear fragrances. Oh, wow. Like, we really, they were, like, the, the, the get into the mindset of what, you, we can't live in caves, you know? But, mm. um, and it was very focused as well on, like, here's the lineage of people that got to me as, like, the teacher, like, was, like, here's the specific lineage tracing it all the way back. Um, and so I really liked my training for that reason, and I want to give it credit that, like, some trainings are absolutely terrible, and then some people are, like, really trying, and, like, I don't, yeah, but you can go back to what you were saying, like. No, I just, um, I, I'm glad that you gave us that contextual history, mm -hmm. um, behind that, because I didn't know that there was an intention to teach white people yoga initially. I just thought it was s some byproduct of colonial imperialism like stealing other people's culture and then trickled into American, uh, you know, consciousness to then capitalize off of it because capitalism does that. So that was my understanding of it, but this is a very different history that I didn't even know about. I don't know how many people actually do know about that. Well, now they know. I also wanted to touch on something that Venom said that I, I found incredible. Um, this is actually something I kind of learned about myself recently. So you mentioned wanting to give credit to some of your training, right? You wanted to acknowledge that it had brought you to a mindset that you needed to be. It, it brought you to that level of next decisions. You know, it's, it's like, had you not done it at all, you know, would you be where you're at right now? Or would you have had a different journey to bring you to where you're at right now? And I kind of think something that's happened in my learning experiences growing up in my academic learning experiences and work experiences is you're trained to, there's like this mindset of take it all in and do it the right way. 
when really learning and growing is take in what you need and leave the rest because you don't need all of it all the time. It's not a hundred percent or nothing situation. It's, Hey, I read this book, 20% of it resonated with me and are things that I can learn from and grow from. But 80% of it was just fluff that I don't need, you know? And so I think acknowledging that, because I think some people who become educators, teachers, gurus, all of those things, they forget that what they're teaching is not a hundred percent received. You know, it's it it can be, but that's not the goal of teaching, right? The goal of teaching is to find something that touches someone and that that helps them grow in whatever their journey is and accepting that their journey is not your journey. And I think mm. it's it's kind of um like religious cult mentality to be like, no, take it all in and do it exactly the way I say it. Or else. Yeah. My number one commitment is to humility that I don't think I'm doing this quote unquote right. I don't know anyone who's doing it capital R right. And I see some white people whose approach to I don't want to be appropriative is to directly copy ancient practices as directly as they can. Even if they're really trying to give credit, you're still reproducing. Like if if I was to practice exactly as it was, um, when yoga was strictly in India and never came here, it was incredibly classist and incredibly sexist. And the evolution of like women and like the I teach in a lot of like community centers. I've taught at homeless shelters. Right now I'm teaching in public schools. Like that would not happen if yoga was kept in its very elitist, quote unquote, pure form. Mm-hmm. And so I bring a lot of humility that like I don't know how any of these things that I'm practicing are supposed to evolve. I really want the person I'm actually meeting in front of me to get the most good as possible. And I try, I'm a, I actually have backed away from calling myself a yoga teacher. I feel mm. like it's such a polluted word. It's such a polluted industry. And I've done a 200 hour training. I think if I had gone all the way to get a 1000 hour training, I would probably finally feel comfortable calling myself um, a yoga teacher. But right now I call myself a meditation teacher. I've really used those tools and like a lot of the formalized ways that yoga is taught and packaged and exported and capitalized upon is just yucky to me Mm. um i respect people who are still in that world completely um and i think some people are really trying to turn this shit around but there's a lot of like sexual assault in yoga there's Mm. a lot of like um violation of boundaries violation of consent um and then there's also a lot of like weird westernized gross ways that it's about like i've been in a yoga class before where someone was like okay ladies keep that kitty tight suck it in we're here to make that booty pop mm. and it's just like it's like hurts my heart like i came mm-hmm. here for ego death like <laughs> it hurts my heart do not make my booty pop <laughs> <laughs> not here no um something that we uh, i think might have also prompted this um conversation that we're having today why we're recording it was that you've had some um difficult and kind of what we were talking about earlier too with with college and trying to fit in and all these mm-hmm. different places is like being in a yoga space sometimes feels like uh like there isn't a level of acceptance that yes. there should be do you want to talk about that yes so i find so throughout my journey with illness and kind of floating i'm in a liminal space where sometimes i i would probably say i'm disabled and then sometimes i'm actually like doing 
a lot of things that would be called like high functioning. Um, overall, I don't necessarily think I have an athletic body type. Um, and I've tried to modify yoga and yoga classes in general to like suit me. I try to have, if someone's going to be in my life as a, a teacher in any way, whether they're teaching me to be a teacher or teaching me as a student, I try to say like, these are the limits of what my body can and can't do. And I've been straight up shot down and like, you're taking up too much space by doing something different than everyone else. Get with the class. Um, I've been told a lot of things. I've been told that it's like burning your karma to keep going, even if you're in pain. And Whoa. so, yeah, that was a big one. Um, that was a big, I had, the, yeah, there's a Ooh, lot that of things made me like feel that. that. I, I'm not unique in hearing that. Um, kind of appropriating spiritual language to just be like really aggressive. Um, and a lot of people get injured. I was doing, I did a 200 hour, it wasn't a, a formal training. It was just right after my teacher training. I was like, okay, I want to get immersed in, it's called like Mysore Ashtanga. It's where you wake up super early in the morning and you go, and instead of a teacher being up there teaching a class, it's like a memorized sequence. And then they can come and teach you. Oh, okay. So when you're doing your lotus this is where you want to be doing like they come up to each student and workshop their individual posture because everyone's mm. on their own pace so i did about 200 hours of that right after my training to make sure i really was learning from someone who actually like spent time studying in india and so i thought i was getting this like you know and um yeah but that was super damaging it was a lot of like you're just your body is wrong if you're in pain doing this like your your body is the problem um i hate everything about that me too i know i know so that's almost why i i've really had to reevaluate like do i want to be calling myself part of this industry mm -hmm. um and so at the same time like i've found that's so not unique it's just um reflective of the greater culture it's nothing intrinsically wrong with yoga it's that able-bodied people have so much privilege of who gets to set what's normal and what's acceptable and what's beautiful that it made its way everywhere. And there are no true safe havens unless you're creating your own space with your own mm -hmm. tribe. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question? I don't know if I got you. Yeah, okay. no, I think it did. And I, you know, I'm, I might want to actually open the floor, Rebecca, if you wanted to talk about ableism at all, because, you know, you are an ill person. Yeah. You, know, you have the genetic disorder. And if you wanted to talk about that, like, I I'm ill. Leave space for that. I'm sick. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what you were saying resonates quite a bit with me because I'm also one of those people where I've had doctors say, you're not disabled, but you're definitely not able. <laughs> and so it's mm -hmm. kind of like, all right, so where does that put me? And then mm -hmm. there's you know, a lot of assumptions that are made, uh, especially when I was working at a police department, there's assumptions made that because my illnesses were invisible, that um, I was faking it or um, I was not as sick as my doctors thought I was. <laughs> and, and that, you know, like there was just like lies happening all the time. And it's like, it starts to make you feel like, well, is, is something wrong with my body? something wrong with my mind? Is it all in my head? And I was really lucky to be one of those people where my doctors were advocating for me. They weren't saying, hey, it's because you're fat or hey, it's because it's in your head or hey, it's, you know, they were very much like something's wrong and you need to take mm -hmm. this seriously. And I was kind of like, whatever, like, you know, I, I don't look sick. 
you know, and, and it's like, but you feel sick. And it's like, well, yeah, I feel sick all the time. I'm in pain all the time. But isn't that normal? And they were like, no, that's not normal to be in pain all the time. And so like there is this mental shift that I had to go through with my illnesses where I had to kind of be like, hey, I guess it is normal for me to be experiencing this, but that doesn't mean I'm able-bodied. And so I mm-hmm. I had to dismantle ableism towards myself <laughs> because we grow up, you know, you or at least I grew up in with the mindset of you don't call out sick unless you're puking blood. You don't, you know, you don't um, skip school unless you have a fever. You know, like there's things like I grew up with that I internalized where my doctors were saying like, no, we're pulling you off work because your body actually needs more rest than other bodies. And I was kind of like, what does that even mean? Like, what does that mean? I need more rest, you know? And, and then to navigate society, knowing that I was struggling with ableism against myself. And then I had to go, wait, am I doing this to other people? Like, am I creating space for other disabled people where it's uncomfortable for them to be their authentic self with me because I can't even do it for myself. Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about how these instructors were basically telling you you're not right because your body has limitations, there's no morality surrounding what we do with our bodies. (laughs) And so it's so bizarre Mm -hmm. that we put right and wrong on things that are as freeing as yoga, you know, or are supposed to be as freeing and spiritual as yoga. But then, you know, I don't know if you went through this, you know, it, I was very able-bodied and then I became not. And so there was just like this weird flow in my brain of like, I should be able to do all these things, but I can't, but I should. <laughs> and so, so there's a push. And then there's the crash and then there's the, the spiral of what the heck am I doing? Is my body betraying me? Am I betraying my body? Like what, what's going on? So that was a very fun ride for me uh, going through that. <laughs> I feel like I'm on that roller coaster all the time right now because I have been pretty much burning myself out because of all the stress that's happening in my life. And then my ADHD is like just not regulated right now and it hasn't really been throughout the whole pandemic and um like I'm just like kind of on this roller coaster of like some some days in a row I'll be doing really well and I'll be feeding myself properly and I'll be you know getting a decent enough amount of sleep and I'm being productive and then I will just crash for a few days and then I'll be feeling really bad about myself because it's like I was just at a really good place literally 24 hours ago so why all of a sudden am I not Mm -hmm. able to keep going and I can't imagine if someone were to tell me I mean I'm already telling it to myself so Mm -hmm. like if someone else were to be like well you're not doing this right then I would I would be crumbled (laughs) I would be yeah yeah Yeah. or you're faking it absolutely love what Rebecca said I like the phrase is like when your disability is invisible and then also um 
the the concept of like well if you a fever is like a quantitative measurement that yes. can be externalized of like here i am sick and it is provable with a technology and then when it's something where you just need to trust your body and have people listen to you and trust that you know what's going on inside your own body yeah that is such another level of a liminal space that society isn't ready for it's actually incredibly radical to say hey actually I might not be puking blood, but you just need to trust me right now that yeah. something's coming up for me. It might not be blood puke, but something's coming up. <laughs> and like, I need to be at home. Well, and, yeah. and I've been learning that because at the police department, it was always uh, a battle and there was discrimination and retaliation and I had to get a lawyer involved mm-hmm. and it was nasty, nasty, nastiness. That maybe can be an episode for another time. Um, but now I work... I work for a company, kind of like a startup company that is human resources. And I got really, at first I was having like PTSD because I was treated so poorly by a human resources director at my old job that I was like, okay, what's it going to be like working for a human resources consultant? And it's night and day. Like this woman, she, my boss, like I think it was on... It was Wednesday or Thursday this week where I got sick. Like, I was not well. And it it wasn't puking blood. There was no quantitative anything. It's just I was not well. And so I sent her a message. And I was like, hey, I'm going to do a half day today because I need to lay down. And she was like, you can go now. Like, you can go now. Go lay down. And it's like, well, I want to be productive, too. (laughs) I want want my cake and I want to eat it. But... Had I pushed myself to work the full day, I would have experienced a flare-up, and then I would have been sick for three days. So, you know, listening to your body, is it's hard to do because sometimes you kind of sit there and you go, do I, am I just not feeling it? You know, like, am I just not feeling life today, or am I sick? And when you have chronic illness, it's really hard to know, and and sometimes I, I guilt myself where it's like, oh, I, I shouldn't feel this way. Like in, oh, I, I took a sick day yeah. again. And that's that's all society, right? That's you, you should feel guilty for not contributing to whatever. And it's also like, it's a social construct what a full day of work is. I know. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> That could be a whole episode. But yeah, I I just appreciate so much you sharing what you shared about this this person telling you your body's not right. And because we internalize that and we're already doing it to ourselves. And so for Mm -hmm. someone to actually say it out loud, it's like, I don't know how you didn't turn around and pop her in the face because I probably would have, you know, like, oops, my foot slipped and I kicked her in the shin. Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just over the course of me talking about my experiences, those were a few people, um, you know, different cis women, a cis man was in there. Like, and it's such a whole industry wide thing that it really you can gaslight yourself into thinking it really is you because I'm looking around and everyone's able to do these things. Everyone else is able. Yeah. And also with the way that I teach, um, I need to teach in a way that's sustainable for my body. And so there's some studios where you know, if, if it's a hot yoga class and I, I can do specifically that, but if it's a whole day of something like that, I just can't do it. And I don't think I should do it. 
Right. And there's just different ways that when there's a trend of something of like, well, hot yoga is the trend right now. We have to sell more of these. Mm. Um, it's not really necessarily yeah. even about what students need. And I've always found right off the bat, I gravitated the misfits that didn't belong in other yoga classes. I didn't even market myself that way. <laughs> it just showed up. And my very first yoga class I ever taught, I got a job at um, the public library, and I was in Miami right after my training. And my very first class, like the first student, I always make a practice, time permitting and everything, but I always make a practice of asking each student, have you ever done yoga before? What's going on with your body today that you feel like sharing? Do you have any requests for me? Um, I try to just have like a very brief intake, and I've never... I've never had more than 30 students, so I've always managed to do it. And my very first student was like, well, I just had a stroke. I can't move my head below my heart. I also can't do this, this, and this. And I've been in multiple car accidents. And I have like eight herniated discs. And I was just like, okay, I just got trained in vinyasa ashtanga yoga, and none of that is going to work right now. And so I just had to pull out of thin air deep in me a restorative yoga practice. And I know that I... I I won't call it a bomb, but my first yoga class was not, it was so unexpected. It wasn't what I was trained to teach. I just had to come up with something on the spot. And ever since then, I feel very, um, I don't care what, I I don't even want to write a paragraph of like, this is what my class is going to be. I have to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And there's days where I've had people show up and then in the intake, they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And then at the end of the class, they come up and they tell me everything that had been hurting, everything that was going on internally. And I was just like, oh, wow, like I felt that, but I didn't want to push you for information. And Mm -hmm. so I've had to learn how to trust myself on a lot of levels of like, I might have been taught everybody needs to do sun salutations. Well, eight times out of 10, I do not teach them, you know, and I'm, I'm moving into these other realms, too, of what it means to be an herbalist. Like I and herbalism is something that I did take a class in it at a community college and I tried to do more training and I just was meeting horrible. I won't even go into that story, but I truly. Oh, my God. The people who market themselves as earth mamas and behind the scenes can be straight up devils and wait um, so i got a question about that oh yeah so are like are like the earth mamas like the girl bosses of the herbalist community like you know the mlm girl boss Mm. mentality is that an earth mama (laughs) i think it's like turfy people i think it's like these weird feminists who are like Mm -mm. you know the world didn't work for us we needed to reclaim midwifery we needed to reclaim herbal healing and we're going to call everything a woman's circle. We're going to do it this way and that way. And we're not going to accommodate anyone who doesn't fit into this. And also, like, I just particularly was dealing with someone who I signed up for this herbalist training. And it was, like, a in a rural place where I was going to learn how to actually grow and harvest herbs over the long term and do, like, sort of a work-study thing. And she just started te- treating me really horribly and speaking to me in a very abusive manner. Yikes. And gaslighting me and telling me that um, I can't trust anybody in my life and I can only trust her and that everybody in my life would want to hold me back from true liberation and that I should, like, kind of, like, leave my whole life. And, and so basically she's trying to run a cult without calling it a cult of, like, yeah. that's someone who is a very respected author in the herbalist community who, um, I, when I mentioned, oh my gosh, I got, I just got accepted to do an herbal apprenticeship with Susan Weed. Everyone was like, oh my God, I have her book on breast health. Oh my God, I have her book on this and that and the other. Mm. 
So it's hard when people actually do have a lot of knowledge. And I can say that in any field, like there's people who truly you want to respect them, but then they're horrible people. And it's just like, well, why do you have power? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's that whole good, bad thing. Everyone has good. Everyone has bad. And it's it's what they lean yeah. into that you want. I was going to ask if you popped her one or slipped and kicked her in the shin. But <laughs> I tried to get like a government bureau aware of this, that mm-hmm. like she pretty much takes people's money. And like if you don't join her cult, we'll like not. She, she has a posted refund policy, so I tried to invoke it and say, I actually would not like to do this apprenticeship. It seems like we're not a good fit. I would like my money back. And it was totally within her posted policy, and she said no and hung up on me. Wow. So then I was calling all these different offices of like, hey, can someone just not follow a return policy? And they're like, there's actually no debtor's prison anymore, and there's no like, like these things that used to exist where you could hold people accountable for a good reason, I think, like don't yeah. exist anymore, where people don't actually have to do what they said they would do so I know that's a little off topic but basically like you can be trying to get training you can be trying to like get that line on your resume that says I know how to do this and you encounter these massively problematic structures and people Mm -hmm. well that's that's white supremacy culture shit Mm -hmm. that needing to have a stamp of approval the need for you know these large institutions to I mean the even the concept of going to college and getting a degree like it is a literal piece of paper and it does prove that I've done this work, but I feel like I could, you know, especially when I think about theater, because that's my degree, I could have gotten that training in the field, you know? I could have gotten that training in independent classes from people who have been acting for years, who are still acting. Like, my teachers were people, and no offense to college professors, because I think there is some, there are amazing professors out there but the ones that were teaching me were not people who were actively acting in the world and like don't understand especially me as a trans person like I was not feeling like I was being respected or accommodated or encouraged in ways that other people were and there's I just don't think that these institutions are necessarily uh good for everyone and it shouldn't necessarily it shouldn't be a standard and you know we could really get into this uh, this is also probably for a different episode of the fact that generations, specifically millennials, um, were told, like, if you go to college and get this degree, you'll get a job, you'll be successful, you'll be able to buy the house, and look at where we are. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Everybody yeah. did it and is in a shit ton of debt, and nobody can get a job. I'm literally, I'm getting turned away from places that do not require you to have a degree um same yeah I don't understand I have this BFA I have this degree that I spent you know years working on and took all of this time and energy and money to to learn all of these things and like I also have all of this other job experience and yet right now in this moment I cannot get a fucking job Hmm. anyway sorry that was me getting really angry but like (laughs) (laughs) but that's kind of the reality I think for a lot of people right now and so and so to go back to that whole institution thing and the the verification and like white supremacy it's like all of these things are standards that are set for us and yet still people are not able to even work within this system to be able to be successful in their fields oh yeah hell yeah um i'm finding lately i'm really learning how to trust myself that i have a deep i believe in past lives i feel that i have spent many past lives as an herbalist and as a witch and 
me meditating on a certain plant, I've gotten, uh, I, I want to honor the fact that I love the teacher. I, I love that I was able to go to the local community college and take an herbalism class. I know that's not true for every community. And I love that I was able to have that formal training. But then I took off when I started trusting myself of like, I feel this plant with me right now. And when I hear someone's problems, I want to give them that plant. And I truly feel like I'm channeling more than I'm intaking mm-hmm. from a book or from a professor or something. I'm getting this knowledge from inside my own cells and inside of spirit. And I want us to have a space where that's valid cultural knowledge. And yeah, and like I'm white. And so it's more like accessible for me to go to things that are certain trainings but really when I think of things like herbalism midwifery I tried to apply to midwifery school and I didn't get in and it's really interesting to me um and I I I, like that's fine and like it wasn't my path or whatever but I have a deep passionate heart for like birth and for children and for pregnant people and for like safe experiences in that transition phase of life and like the people I've known who did get into this specific program just had strong science backgrounds. And I'm not saying that's not important in a health field, but um, there's something inside of us that we can reclaim that institutions don't see. I've also been thinking about um, the fact that we are really trying to survive, especially right now. And it's so, it infuriates me that our government does not give us the the chance to to then thrive after we've met our survival needs i like i really want universal basic income i really want universal health care i really want i really want real systems that are going to be able to allow us to find those things that are meant for us on our path like i want you to be able to follow that passion of midwifery and to be around pregnant people and help them in a way that is like right for them and you. Because if that's your niche, if that's your passion, and that's something that you want to give back to the community and give back to society, you should be allowed to fucking do that. But we have to also worry about the fact that we have rent to pay and we have bills and we have to pay for our food and we have to pay for uh, gas. If we don't have a car, what else, you know, that's so necessary right now to be able to do things. Like, what are you supposed to do if you don't have one of those? And that's a payment. And then it's just, eh, fuck capitalism. Oh, fuck capitalism. <laughs> fuck the way that, like, just fuck all of that. Because <laughs> truly, there's nothing that radical in terms of, like, the entire history of humans existing. There's nothing that radical about, like, wanting time to be in nature or wanting time to rest or wanting to be able to like afford to spend time with your own children instead of needing to work three jobs to support them and there's nothing that radical like like I think of like midwifery and it's not going to get covered by health insurance if you do have it you know yeah I'm sure some plans do cover it but like I think of like the the weird stratification where like it's only kind of like really bougie white women and like people who are like adjacent to whiteness that Mm. are able to have access to this and then I like spent a lot of time researching and looking into black maternal mortality when I was trying to get into midwifery and like I've since realized like midwifery specifically is not my path I think it's and that can be its own thing but black women have been midwives for so long and then you look at midwifery programs today and it is a lot of like cis white women and mm-hmm. like it's 
it's weird like it besides being wrong it's just it doesn't make any sense like why why is this knowledge system being funneled through that because <laughs> racism because racism because we've undervalued anything that came from like indigenous practices that came from black people that that we we've undervalued things that have any sort of femininity thinking that femininity is like cheaper or weaker or expendable if there was a way for me to just contribute to some sort of community food system and i found adjacent ways of dealing with nonprofits, blah blah to get mm -hmm. my th way into these systems but i i don't see why it has to be so complicated to get to get food to people Oh, well, it doesn't. Um, and 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 er the government wants you to believe that we don't have enough money to feed all the people. They want to they want you to believe that we don't have enough money to house all of the people. Yeah. Or resources yeah. to do all of these things. And it is well so untrue. We have all of it. We have enough food to feed everyone. We have enough. They have eight million dollars that they spent this year on dairy. The government spent so the dairy industry wouldn't suffer. That's $8 million. You know what I just learned about this year? <laughs> Is the, the caves of cheese that the government has. Yeah, that's what I'm talking they about. basements full of cheese. They had because they basically didn't want the dairy industry to die. So they just bought all of the cheese. And now they just have cheese. No, they continue and... to buy cheese. They can, yes. <laughs> they continue to buy. Um, hence government cheese. But I, I wanted and to like oh, so many people are lactose intolerant. Like I'm also shaking my head because if you really wanted to feed the people, like I feel like what eighty percent of people can't even fucking eat cheese. Sixty five. They're going to be chronically sick. Number. You know, like yeah, it's because sixty five percent of people because white people like <laughs> they they're centering themselves. They're centering like a very like Northern European diet, you know, and it's just not feasible working. Yeah. You know. Well, and I wanted to touch on something um, that you had said, Venom, earlier. Uh, you had mentioned that everyone just needs to, like, get outside and be in nature and, you know, experience that and there not be anything, like, really tied to it. You know, you don't need to, like, pay to do it. You don't need to. And I wanted to just briefly touch. This may not stay in the episode, but um, when I worked at the police department, I'm in rural California, so... You know, there's a, a lot of places to go to camp or just be out in the wilderness and that sort of thing. But all of the cops that I worked with, when they would take time off, all of them would go out off the grid to recenter and to come back, you know, like whole again. Because one, their jobs are insane. And two, they're desensitized to people you know we've talked about this all season but anyways so one of the things a lot of them do is they go off the grid one they can't be contacted by phone so they're completely isolated and they're reconnecting with nature i don't think those are necessarily the reasons why they do it i don't think they they necessarily know in their hearts why that's happening and why they're connecting to that i think a lot of times they go well the chief can't call me if i'm out in the wilderness which is right. sad, but I always find it interesting that that's what they choose to do. And it's like, it's almost like it's nature calling them to be like, come, come and recenter yourself. We get activated by nature. Like, right. Lately, I really have a practice. I, 
<laughs> I'm thinking of the other day I hugged a tree way too hard and it, it really hurt my titty. Um, <laughs> but, like, also lately I have a practice of just, like, putting my hands on a tree or, like, hugging a tree and, like, or putting my hands on the earth. And I truly get healed in a way that our medical industrial complex cannot heal people. And I want to give – there's a space for vaccines that are super important and I think they're very good to get. And then there's a space for maybe you have like a a spinal injury and you want a surgeon. And then there's also a space for the healing that we can get for fucking free 99 if we have the access to it and we're not in like a weird urban hellscape where it's just pollution and all the trees are gone. Right. If someone is a cop and they're kind of not thinking in terms of, oh, I just want to worship Mother Earth for the weekend. You right. Right. I still think that there's something there that the earth loves us all and wants us to be healed and whole and feel connected to all of life. Because truly, like, we're just, trees exist for free. They breathe in, they breathe out, Mm -hmm. they're getting their nutrients, and we can be like trees. There's no reason we can't. Well, let's talk about career stuff. And um... Really? (laughs) Here? (laughs) Now? All righty, all righty. Um, so maybe we should have defined normie work. Oh, normie work. So I feel like normie work is where woo-woo would probably get frowned upon, you know, where if I'm like, oh, I forgot my crystal at home, got to run back. Like, I feel like if you're in certain spaces, it's just like, oh, my God, get your labradorite. Go, go. <laughs> The grace of God be with you. Godspeed, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and then there's like other places where um, I've I've worked in elementary schools. I've worked in dog training places. I've worked for individuals in child care. Um, and like all three of those, I really didn't show up as my authentic self in different ways. Where else have I worked? I've, I, I was able to be a little bit more authentic when I worked in an art gallery, but I would still say I wasn't really given a lot of flexibility and creativity, you know? So I feel like normie work to me, hmm, it looks normal to others. Like the sort of image people have of showing up to work every day, I kind of feel like that's normie work. Um, mm-hmm. and the times where I have like had a time card or the times where there were benefits or like (laughs) the times where there was like a set, there's like a standardized way of doing something. Like I feel like a lot of those like feel like um, ingredients that I would say contribute to normie work. But I also think, you know, I'm sure that there's people who go to show up me included some days to teach that I have taught at yoga studios as much as I've really um, divested from that realm um, where that really feels like normie work. Mm. Um, like if I like I can so feel the difference when I'm doing kind of my intakes with students and it's just like, oh, I'm going through a lot. I recently had a death and I feel like I'm carrying my grief in my heart. Like there's like those kind of places where I'm like, oh, my God, I get to be spiritual. Yes. Like yeah. and then they're showing up and it's just like oh, I'm a runner and my hamstrings are really tight. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I do not want to sound judgmental, but it feels like normie work for me to be like, okay, like, I know where the hamstrings are. I know what stretches that out. I know what caused you to have tight hamstrings. It's not a spiritual level thing. It's not an energetic or past life thing. It's because you were running a lot. Like, and so that to me, I feel like it's definitely more of a spectrum. Because I will also say that I can read a room pretty well if someone 
is open to me being like, oh, running? Like, you know, like if me, like playfully getting, getting at, is there a reason you're tightening up here? Or like, I can usually read a room. Um, and I, I think that there's ways in my energy work trainings that I've been taught, like, this is often connected to this, you know, um, like to give like a really specific example, um, the, the mindset of presence can heal issues in your legs and your feet in Bel Vespita. Mm. Um, and so I know the frequency of presence. I was attuned to it to be able to place it in someone's energy field. And so maybe they will find that they're more present and that their feet and legs are asking them to be present. And so I think pain is often a signal and we can think of it in a direct way of like, I touched a hot stove, my nerves are giving a signal to my brain that the pain means I need to take my hand off the hot stove. And then there's these long-term ways of like, it might not just be the way you're sitting. Maybe the way you're sitting is really closing off your heart. And like, or maybe it's um, like, I think of if you just had breast implants and like there's a certain muscle in your back, like I wonder for a while you were popping out your chest to try to either compensate or vice versa. Like mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's a lot of emotional resonances to the way we carry our body. So I just, I love the concept of you saying that you were, uh, you're on this journey of your career and you're like not really sure kind yes. of where you are in your path and, and not feeling like this is, um, uh, the concept of successful, right? Yes, yes, um, yes. I would love to hear you talk more about that. Okay. Um. So earlier on, I would go into life path decisions by crisis, where I would be too sick to do anything else that I had to do this. And then there were also um, the, I, the Pulse nightclub shooting really affected me. And I know that that shaped my, my sense of my place in the world. And so like, I feel like for a while, I was being motivated by crisis and by processing trauma. I was going into certain directions and making certain decisions. And now I'm really at a point where I'm giving myself permission. I don't need a crisis to do something I love. I don't need to be in a state of like healing from an active trauma to take time to do what makes sense for me to do. And that's a privileged position. A lot of people have no choice but to keep doing what they're doing. And so to be more specific, um, a few years ago, in my process of trying to move to Maine, it's like the job I had gotten fell through. My housing kept falling through. I had an incredibly traumatized dog who's really hard to get anyone to watch her. I'm in a place where I don't know anyone. And all these things were happening. And I was just like falling apart. And all of these like worlds, what they call the 3D things, like where you're like, oh, I didn't have to deal with rent and all of this. Oh, they're fine. Um, and 3D <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. So um, then I just, something, my friend was like, talk about psychic impulses. She was like, I don't know why. I've never been there, but I keep hearing for you, Omega Institute. Look at, look, and she knew that that was a real thing, but she had never been there. So I look it up, and for exactly the days I needed housing, there was a Qigong healing training. So I had done Qigong before, but I thought Qigong healing was going to be like Yi Jin Jing, which is like a type of Qigong that it'll work on the kidneys or it'll work on this. Like it's healing through movement, and it's very connected to yoga. It could work with me teaching yoga and keeping in that career path. And then I get there and it's like there's all these massage tables and it's actually Qigong healing is a type of energy work. And it's like a combination of energy work where you're not touching someone, you're working etherically and then also 
massage, specific massage to open up channels in the body. It works with a meridian system. It works with traditional Chinese medicine. And also we were trained in the four golden wheels, which is Qigong movements that help balance your own energy. And then there's also different ways that I was taught Wogu, which is like you put your thumb in the center of your palm and you wrap your fingers around it and that like blocks your energy. So whenever I'm in a really tense area where I do not mm. want to take an energy from other people, that's like something my teacher taught me. And I straight up cannot hear people like there's times people are saying hateful things and it straight up goes in one ear out the other. Um, and so I want to give credit to Robert Pung. He was the best fucking teacher I could have had at that point in my life. I hate that crisis had to bring me to get there, but sometimes God really needs you to radically change course. I never would have gone to upstate New York if I had been everything going swimmingly. Mm. Um, so sometimes it's like everything makes sense once the dust settles, but it's also really hard when you're going through it. That was a big radical shift for me from, wow, like this thing that I've been missing, like actually working one-on-one -on -one with people and working with their energy that I was kind of getting with yoga. I was like, oh my God, this is the thing. Also, I want to give like a little... I was very much so reckoning with I love that like at that time I had a Chinese teacher like he moved from China and he is straight up gifted I've never met anyone who I would call like the, a lot of my spiritual teachers have been people who definitely were still in ego identification and I don't know him but me reading his energy he is like on an ascended master level wow. and he doesn't market himself that way it's more just me being in his presence, I truly felt this like God consciousness coming off of him. Wow. And I just got so much out of his humor, his lightness, his honor of the inner child, the way he really believes in like he spent a lot of time in a cave. Like he activated his abilities by like living in a cave and getting these powers. And wow. now his calling was to move to leave China and move to the U.S. and he lives in like a very idyllic part of New York as far as I know and he does a lot of online trainings too if you don't live anywhere near New York um so he was a major teacher on my path and it's not even like I connected him with him on an ego level like a human to human thing it was more just me being his student I was like oh my god and I remember one day when he really looked at me and I'd never been seen like that mm -hmm. um and I know one of the other things we did in our training was in groups, like one person would lay on the massage table and a group of people would say your name to you and like over and over for like a while. And like it was a time where then it like wrapped up. And especially if you've ever had issues with your name or if you've ever had your name used as, against you as a weapon where people usually yelled your name or barked your name at you. Um, having people in a nice sing-songy, calming voice lovingly say your name to you, like a whole group of them surrounding you while you just get to rest in that resonance. Um, that was major. And so like he led so many things that just made me thoroughly change my path. And I was also like, wow, I've been trained in something from India and I've been trained in something from China. I don't feel comfortable being either of these. <laughs> like I'm white. Um, and so and I'm white of European ancestry and Jewish. Um, so I was like, wow, like I don't know any Jewish energy work. I don't know any Ashkenaz healing blah blah because there's kabbalah but that's very sephardic and that's more like north african jews middle eastern jews so i didn't want to all of a sudden be like well i'm close enough adjacent to no i'm not like i can honor kabbalah and think it's great but it's truly not in my blood in the same way and so i was wrestling with that for a while and i was finding that with qigong healing um to do it in the full complete way you really should get a massage license to be touching people and i didn't want to start doing massage training um mm -hmm. So I kind of held on to my gifts. I was doing my normie work in the world, but also on my own, 
and with people in my life just offering it for free of like I love this thing that I learned and I want to share it with the world and then when the time was right I met my next teacher and um she trained me in Belle Vespita and I've done two initiations with her so there's all the way she's a grandmaster which is like the fourth level so I'm halfway there um but also I don't even think it's like that linear of being halfway and this is, it really speaks to me. It's very extraterrestrial. It's very angelic. It's not appropriating anyone's culture. Um, it was kind of designed for this new earth. It was um, gifted to the person who like brought it into form by like someone who had a really strong angelic connection. Um, and depending on if you relate to the idea that there are energies out there beyond earth, like I think those are really transmitting to her as well. And so um, it was made kind of around 2008, and the idea is that in 2012, the Earth had a major shift that I could talk about in a lot of ways, but basically it's for this new Earth that I learned all these ancient techniques, and then now I have this, like, new, for this new age, like, how do we treat disease, and, like, how do we find ourselves, and how do we let go of illusion, and, like, how do we truly ascend into our true self, like, beyond doubt and shame and guilt and pain and like these things that really hold us down and like I'm doing the work my teacher and that was um you know a white lady and I I absolutely love her and I think that she's given me a lot and I remember on my first initiation I said well there really is genocide like we can't just say disease is an illusion like there are real things that are happening and she just had no good answer for that. I was really right. unsatisfied by the way she she kind of put it off as like my own personal thing that I'm kind of have my own issues around genocide that it's something I can't necessarily like be spiritual about, I guess. So I was like, Wait, what? Yeah, like I I know what she was saying. Like I I like, but she was saying because the whole concept of Belle Vespita is like you want to see the person in their sublime perfection, whether it's the person, the situation, the world, the cosmos. The more we sit there and see it in its perfection, the that is healing in and of itself. That mm. like if I have a client come to me and I truly center myself in this person is perfect, not despite their limitations, their blind spots, their blah blah, but like this person is perfect, period, point blank. Um and also seeing the world that way. The mm-hmm. world is very complex. And within ourselves, we have good, good and bad, whether, whether, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> um, and so she was kind of saying, like, if you can't see the bad in the world, like I use the example genocide, and still see the perfection in it, like that's something that I need to spend time reflecting on. And I found that a really unsatisfying answer. And then now I've been one of my spiritual teachers lately is Laura Chung. Um, you can find her offerings at Kumi Dreams, I believe, dot life. Um, but Laura Chung is a Reiki healer. I'm not attuned to Reiki, but as an energy work practitioner who wants to be mindful of and like has my own questions around like, well, there is fucking suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. I can't just fucking pray away someone's suffering. Like there are other things beyond their energy that I need to hold space for and not gaslight people and say, well, you just manifested your poverty or whatever, like the downstream. Uh, I don't think people will say that whole sentence, but they do sound that way in the downstream way of like everything in your environment you attracted based on the law of attraction. Well, fuck you. I don't think that's true. I just do not believe in the law of attraction to that extent. Um, and But there's ways that the laws of attraction are very true and very helpful and very profound. And so I'm always a teacher, always a student. Like, I've, I don't think those are two different things. Um, 
and figuring out, you know, like, I can't spiritual bypass the fact that, like, I have suffered and there's institutional things. It's not just me not being in alignment that I don't have this whole roster of clients right now. It's also that a lot of people can't afford to pay for energy work in this day and age. I feel like I've seen some people who really are making a living wage off of something like teaching yoga or something like providing energy work to people or being a psychic. And um, I think it's easy to think, what am I doing wrong or am I not good enough if you're not there yet? But the more that I've gotten to know people on a more personal level where we do talk about finances and stuff, um, I think that there's something there of how... um, well, like right now, I, I I personally do not succeed on social media. It doesn't really work for me. So I try to market myself through word of mouth. And um, I'm basing my plan off of one of my friends who's a massage therapist. And so she was able to go a year without making any money. Um, she just offered a lot of free sessions and then tried to get her name out. And she had not only a good amount of life savings from her job when she was doing I won't get into it too much, but like other things that made money and also had a husband who could pay the mortgage if that was important. And so I'm in a place where I don't have to worry about getting my immediate bills met, that I'm not trying to juggle three jobs plus a side hustle right now. And that might change one day and I don't know, but I also um, feel like there aren't a lot of people who I've heard who didn't come from either a really well-paying job where they were able to take a break for a while or who don't have family support or some sort of like like weird aunt who's a benefactor or something Mm -hmm. um and so I feel like it's really interesting for me to think about success that the the I so I started off in this whole world in Miami where like success really was like I wasn't getting hired by a lot of places and I didn't really fit into like I have leg hair like I don't really wear Lululemon I don't I don't my body doesn't do things that are fancy you know like I <laughs> I have <laughs> and so leg I was hair working too at a public library and it wasn't me feeling so philanthropic it was like those are the people who want to hire me and I have I've learned to like love myself that like I'm not supposed to fit into that world but so much of success is like, well, do you fit into your gender role really well? Like, do, do you look mm-hmm. real cute in yoga butt cheek shorts? <laughs> <laughs> yoga butt cheek shorts. <laughs> That's what they are! <laughs> um, and I also feel like a lot of the people I've known who... So, like, there's... A, I think it, it goes without saying that there's, like, a lot here that, like, to be successful, it doesn't necessarily just happen. You kind of have to have a decent amount of luck on your side, and it's not a reflection of whether you're good or bad. Um, And I also feel like there's something I'm trying lately of being a little bit more receptive rather than aggressive, because every time I've gone after something outside of myself thinking this will complete me or this will give me what I need... I feel like I either haven't gotten it or it has thoroughly burned me out if I did get it. Um, And so I'm trying this thing where I'm a lot less attached of like I might offer to someone who says like, oh my gosh, you're an herbalist. I would love someone to make me this or that. And I'm like, here's my card. I would love to work with you. I'm sliding scale. Let's work within your budget. And then you never hear from them. Mm. And so at first I was, my hopes were, I was like, oh my God, was it something that I came across in a certain way? Was I being too pushy? Was I this or that? 
And then I've realized as I've had a few more successes where people took me up on my offer and some people have paid me, some people I just offered it as like, here you go. Like, I, I respect the work that you're doing. If I can give this to you as kind of like a piece of gratitude as I'm on my own path, like, here mm-hmm. you go. Um, as more people have taken me up on my offers, um, I'm starting to realize it really has nothing to do with you whether you resonate and whether someone wants your energy in their life, there's a million reasons why you may or may not be there yet of Mm -hmm. like having this full roster of clients or this full roster of really well-paying yoga classes, which feels impossible to get these days. It feels like it's so hard to get above like three students if you're doing studio work. Um, Success for me, if I was going by financial success, I would only be working for rich people, you know, where I'm able to charge $150 an hour. And I would love to be doing that, but also I, I'm really divesting from those sorts of systems, and I feel very successful that if I measured in terms of how many children in poverty I've taught yoga to, I'm far surpassing anyone in my training group as far as I know. I haven't really kept in touch with everyone, but um, if I'm keeping a record of like how many people came up to me after class and said, you know, I've been really struggling with an eating disorder and your body positivity has given me finally a way that I can actually be present with my body. Mm. I feel that is unquantifiably successful to me. So I'm trying to figure out within the system of like wanting to actually pay my bills doing what I love and wanting to decenter whiteness or the all of the other ways that um I don't want to be successful based on the things that are problematic about me. I want to be successful based on like the unique point of view that I can bring as someone who's non-binary, as someone who has PTSD, as someone who deals with body image stuff myself, you know, as someone who um, never quite fit in in a lot of studios and felt, felt weird there. So it's hard to figure out what success means. And I feel like I'm trying my best yeah aren't we all (laughs) right and trying to stay hopeful and trying to believe in myself and all those things are not easy and not natural um they are natural in the sense of like it takes hard fucking work to Mm -hmm. stay hopeful Uh Mm -hmm. we all need to define success for ourselves and if we keep going off of you know the standards of someone else we're going to be continually disappointed you know i came from a job i came from a 10-year career where I had amazing benefits and amazing pay and amazing everything. And I was an expert in my field. I had the FBI call me when they needed help. I had DOJ call me, had other agencies call me. Um, The program that we used for record keeping, that company would call me and ask me to help agencies with their program. It was kind of like everything on paper was wow, Rebecca is really successful in this career. But all the while, I had nothing in savings. I was in severe debt. I was having so many health complications. I was, everything in my personal life was just kind of like a massive ball of fuckery. (laughs) And so uh, it was kind of like, okay, am I successful or am I playing successful? You know, like, am I playing this character that's successful? But when I come home, it's like, well, this is my real life and it's a mess and I don't know how to clean it up. Well, when I left that career and that success and that expertise and that field, there were people who commented and they would be like, but you're leaving so much. You're leaving, 
this. And it's like, well, that isn't doing it for me anymore. So I left that career and there were people who were like commenting on it. And, you know, you're giving up all this success. You're giving up all this notoriety. You're known in the industry. You're known throughout the state. You know, uh, Kamala Harris knows your name, you know, things like that. And it's like, I don't give a shit about any of that. I want to be better. And what does better mean? I have no fucking idea. And so I got this other job. I was making half the amount of money. I have no retirement. I have no benefits. And I, I'm debt free. I have my health is more stable than it's ever been. And what else has happened? Oh, we have more in savings than we've ever had before. And so it's kind of like, is financial success success? You know, it is that success. And I think it depends on what your priorities are in life. And I kind of think that if you are, if you are doing things for the overall wellness of self, you know, putting that oxygen mask on first for yourself, things fall in line. And that's how it works. And I also think like success and failure are terms that are very much rooted in morality you know, if you're mm-hmm. successful, therefore you are good. If you're a failure, therefore you are bad. And honestly, I celebrate my failures because at least I'm trying something, you know, like at least I'm, I'm trying something and failing at it and learning from that and moving forward. So I just kind of feel like the journey you're on right now is incredible and successful because you're doing it for the right reasons and you're doing it for you. And mm-hmm. how can that not be successful? Thank you for that. Tell my parents who really would have loved me to go to medical school. <laughs> you know, like I I mean, and not to live my life for anyone else, you know, like think it, it can be really successful in an outward way of like, well, I have a PhD or like, well, like I have this or that. I really appreciate your point of like, our own health can be a metric of whether we're doing this right, you know? Right. Yeah. And not to like shame people and say you're doing it wrong if your health isn't at its optimal, but yeah, someone really taking their power back and saying, I need my body to not be screaming at me constantly and this isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's so powerful. Okay. Can I say one last thing yeah. that may or yeah. may not end up in this? I feel that work is so much more than what gives us a paycheck and there's days where my deep work is processing my own trauma and there's days when my deep work is being present with the earth even in the middle of a climate crisis and there's Mm -hmm. days when my work is not being reactive if people are in a reactive state and me actually metabolizing that alchemizing that and still having compassion or centeredness or just not making it all a dumpster fire like sometimes that's the work is like just being a human being um and if you're not in a job that is like woo woo spiritual or you're not in a job that but but you are someone who's doing the work I the the work of bringing a certain consciousness into like every field like I I don't see a difference um I like the more you learn about yoga, the more like the actual moving your arms around or whatever is like not even it's peripheral to the work, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's really a work of being conscious and like practicing nonviolence is number one. Well, 
to wrap this up, you can find me at magicalvenom.com. Yes, I was going to say, we need to do a plug. Where can people find you? Yes, yeah, so I'm not on socials, but you can send me a very, you can send me emails. You can call me. Um, I would love to provide energy work. I can do remotely, or if you're in the main area, we can try to find a space outside where we have good airflow and we wear masks mm -hmm. because we want to be safe in these days. And I also can make herbs for people. So whatever is going on for you, spiritual, physical, you want to get your medical attention where it's needed. But also I feel herbs have been an incredible support for my life. And I can, I recently had an herbalism client who wanted a sleep tincture. And it really, like there's things like that where if you're having trouble sleeping, it can make it hard to get all of these other things done. So if there's anything going on for you, if I can't help, I don't have an ego about that. And I will definitely say, I think that you should go to this other person or this other profession for that. But if there's herbs or energy work or meditation that can be of assistance, I would love, 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 love to provide that for people. And I try to be equitable and democratic in my prices. So let me know where you are and we'll try to meet there. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Oh my gosh, I'm thank you for having me. <laughs> really glad that we had this conversation. It was a really good one and I I think a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing all of the things that you had to say today. So, thank you all listeners for um listening to this episode of You Can't Be Sick on Mondays. This is our season finale, so I'm really glad that we ended on this high note. I agree. I thank you so much Venom for being here and sharing your heart with us and your energy. And as Samson said, this is our season finale. We plan to be back in February. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram. You can't be sick on Mondays. Send us an email. You can't be sick on Mondays at gmail.com. And in order to restore balance in the world with hatred and darkness, we hope you have a terrible day. Bye. Bye. Ah! <laughs> Love and light. Love and light. <laughs> Okay, are we stopping it? I literally love that. So. I know, me too. <laughs>